Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, a podcast that looks at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chouinard. I'm here with Glenn Willis on a Friday night in between the win over Washington and an upcoming game with the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, Glenn, I guess, you know, looking back at that Washington win, it was a little choppy at times and uh, I guess maybe where I want to start is what where what do the Hawks have to do better to defend some of these teams that go small and play five out and things like that? Yeah, I think that is one of the things that's going to challenge them because their their base defense is set up for how they're going to defend ball screens, how they're going to defend pick and roll, and you know, and and all of that, and and you know, it's it's interesting because the the Pelicans will present some. Some new things too, although they they met in the preseason, so there's a little bit of a recent kind of you know sample there. But yeah, I, I mean it's interesting when you think about this heavy five out and that the kind of ball movement that comes with delay action and other five out sets and things like that. Like, do you want to switch? Uh, you know, because they they couldn't they couldn't contain the ball for the what, most of the first half in that game. Um, you know, Kuzma driving right down the, the paint to the rim, you know, the others uh, as well. And so really the issue is uh, that I saw was ball containment and then just not being as invested in transition defense as, as you'd want. And so if a five out set, a five out based offensive scheme is going to spread you out, how do you contain the ball? And that to me, that was problem number one against the Wizards and there's a few ways you could approach trying to, to fix that. One one is just doing a better job keeping the ball in front of you. But, you know, I, I don't know that – from what I saw in that game, I don't know that the coach is kind of feeling the responsibility to fix it with scheme. It's, it's just – it was kind of the feeling I was having. They just needed to, to play better. Yeah, I think that's right. Um you know, watching that first half, it it felt like there were some times where they were just a little too eager to concede a tray on Kuzma switch. Mm-hmm. There were some times where it just didn't look like they communicated particularly well. It looked like there were some where, you know, it was not clear to both defenders, like they were just doing different things. Um, and I think just some choppy offense put them in bad spots too. So they couldn't get their defense set up and they'd end up in a bad spot just because they took a bad shot or got a bad break. I think there was one where Hunter looked like he got fouled and then just coming the other way. They're just, they're just not really set up in time, but it's, it's it's interesting. It does feel like one of the uh, bigger Achilles heels for this team, like, you know, you just look at the way the Hawks are set up and, and Trey has done a lot. And Trey Trey in the second half looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. I thought that he did a good job defensively. Like, seemed like he was sharper and getting better closeouts and things like that. But in, in the first half, it just felt like the Hawks couldn't cover for him. Uh, and, and they just weren't they just weren't communicating well when, when teams were trying to take the action to him. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting because they haven't been, you and I talked about this, they haven't really been making it a huge priority to cover for him. Um, but the five out spread you out, I think kind of 
teased out some of the Hawks' vulnerabilities in the ways that that others, you know, haven't. Uh, and so, so it's it's it, it was a it was a different problem set. I think is one way I could put it. Right, mm-hmm. is that they were really spread out and and they just couldn't contain the ball. It was it was a little bit like the start of the Timberwolves game, even though the Timberwolves you know, weren't playing five out in that sense, but they, the Timberwolves were still spreading them out uh, a lot, and, and they struggled with that. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm looking forward to the next time they get some reps at this and, and see if they get better or if they try anything different. But, yeah, Meanwhile, it's interesting. And, and it's, you know, it doesn't play to the strengths of Clint necessarily. Like, you know, Clint yep. is the best thing that the Hawks have going in terms of how do you help Trey in all these different situations. And, you know, the five out kind of mitigates it. There were there were times where he got pulled out to the perimeter and it's just him covering or covering for a driver and just doesn't do, you know, particularly well in that situation. Um yeah. Yep. What? Uh, yeah, so I mean, so I mean, I, I think if, it seems like the you know the Pelicans with Valanciunas won't they won't play five out in that way, right? Right. That's and but but Zion is a face up four, and and Valanciunas will take a three point shot from the corner, even from the top of the key now and then, mm-hmm. you know, and such. So um, so I I do think like the way that they play through CJ. And Brandon Ingram and 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 some of their younger guys really run run well, even for like wings, you know. And so they they push the pace that when they have opportunities, they push the pace. Mm-hmm. And and they will use the fact that Zion is such a good face up four to spread you out. And so I think looking ahead to tomorrow's game, you know, it it feels like one that could if they're not tighter in their defensive execution could start a little bit or could look a little bit like the way it did early in the Timberwolves game. It could look like uh, like it did the first half of the Wizards game. And I think this is kind of the first in five games, if you can call it a pattern or a trend of like, okay, when they get spread out, they haven't been nearly as good. Um, you know, you could try to generate ball pressure in individually um, you know, there, like I said, there's a lot of things that you can kind of kind of try to do, but but that this is the first kind of like okay, we've seen a few things here, a few games here where they got spread out and it and it wasn't great. And I think the Pelicans will try to do that to them. I mean, and, to, and, to me, it and, seems and, and, a little bit less scary though. Like, yeah, you know, you just it's not Clint trying to keep up with Kuzma. You know, it's it. You know he's got some like-sized people. I don't. I don't think Valanciunas is necessarily particularly that scary as a shooter. I just. I don't know. I, I think it fits Clint and the overall team. You know that that starting group a little bit better. But speaking of the starting group, like when you play the Pelicans, uh, who's going to start? We so far this season we've got three starts for Sadiq, two starts for Jalen Johnson. Uh, yeah. We haven't we haven't gotten the Akongwu start at power forward yet. It is. Is, is that the weird that, wrinkle that could be coming? Well, I mean, you know, and in the preseason game, they started Bruno and Anyaka together against right. New Orleans, right? So uh, that's not going to happen, obviously, with Bruno. But, but it, you know, what, could we see two centers? And is the league kind of coming around to wanting to defend Zion with centers? 
and and you know Centrus will just give him a space to pull up if he wants to. Uh, you know, and so it's going to be really interesting to see. Um, you know, when Brad and I were talking about it, it's like you, you asked Jalen to defend him for more than about I don't know eighteen minutes, and you're worried about foul trouble. Yeah. Um, to a lesser degree, same with the Kongu, right? Because um, he's just so physical, you know. Um, so that's that's interesting. But uh, we got a we got a we got a treat here. I was going to say on. interloper, but okay, treat. That word, I, I like the word treat. Um, the the boss man over at Peace Three Hoops, kind of running everything uh, smoothly and turning out great content at Blog Talk on Twitter. You all know him, and you all love him, Wes. Uh, you know, I, I'm looking at the Pelicans, going to spread the Hawks out. I think you look at the Thunder. The Thunder will spread every defense out. Uh, what what's your takeaway kind of in this area in terms of what the maybe the vulnerability that we've seen around uh, what happens when the Hawks get spread out? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it'll be pretty interesting. I mean, um, you know, I was there for the first the first preseason game. Well, not the first preseason game, but the preseason game they had against the Pelicans, and yeah, so as you here. mentioned, as you mentioned that you know they they started a Congo and Bruno. And it was actually probably the only thing that went wrong was how they were trying to contain Zion um, in the first six minutes of the game or so. And they weren't really able to contain him that well. He was able to get in, get some fouls. Um, Quinn Snyder kind of scrapped that whole two-center lineup after that. But the rest of the game was pretty much, you know, the Hawks were able to kind of, um, you know, force – Force New England, uh, force uh, New Orleans to, you know, try to try to make something happen, not, not let Zion beat them, and you know they weren't really able to spread the Hawks out on defense. And Hawks got a bunch of stops. They got on transition. They kind of put the game, you know, the competitive part of the game is preseason. Put the competitive part of the game kind of out by halftime or so. So I imagine we'll see something similar to it. You know, it'll be kind of like a. Know, try not to let them in lane. Um, I, I believe there's a couple of guys, Jose Alvarado, Trey Murphy, that won't play. So they're kind of down some shooting, as is. Yeah. Um, I believe Brandon Ingram's questionable or something like that. So so I think it'll be kind of the same yeah. thing. It's it, it's gonna be, you know, group effort to not let Zion get into the lane and cause trouble. Um I don't think you start a Kongu at the four or anything like that, but um, either way, Jalen. Yeah, I, th- I think you, I think you definitely got to go with Jalen. Um, you know, I think Sadiq obviously has the the physicality aspect of it, but but Zion's just so quick with his first step and everything that yeah. you, you'd rather have the range of Jalen. Um, like I said, it and it's it's more than one on one. It's going to be a group. It's going to be a group like you know all five guys on defense you know, need mm-hmm. to respond when there's an advantage created from, from New Orleans. So, but yeah, that'll be, that'll be key one. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to, you know, they may give up some threes, but, you know, I, with them down a couple of their three-point shooters, you know, just don't know how much New Orleans can make them pay for that. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, like I said, just just kind of key in on, on not letting them get in the lane. Yeah. Um and yeah, should be 
other than that, pretty similar to the preseason game we saw. Yeah. One thing that I've liked from the Hawks this season is that that you know when you when you get some offense, like they've they've struggled at times with some of these teams that spread them out, but when an offense is predictable and it's going through one person, they have looked pretty comfortable kind of playing yeah. the gaps and closing in around that one ball handler. And I think that's something that could help them in this game if if New Orleans tries to you know run plays through Zion and gets to be a little methodical. I, I think they're kind of good getting in those gaps and then making the necessary adjustments if they need them behind it. But uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Sadiq starts this one. I know he's not the biggest person, but he's awfully strong. And I, you know, I think if Quinn thinks that Jalen is the best option against Zion, you know, starting Sadiq, keeping him with Clint, and then just saving Jalen a couple of fouls early in the game mm. could be beneficial. Yeah, that makes some sense to me. And it's interesting because when you watch Zion play, right, he's he's obviously a dynamic player. He's a unique player um, in his strength and his abilities, you know, to kind of you know, functional ball skill and, and things like that. But he's a bit predictable. Like he, there's only like three or four things he does in the half court offense, right? He starts at the right three point break. He wants to screen to let him get going towards the Nell. And then he try to kind of, kind of just pushes his way towards the rim from there. He'll start just right of the Nell and maybe run a tighter kind of snug, you know, pick and roll uh, or, or, or a little fake DHO kind of action, try to go middle and kind of force his way there. And he'll occasionally start on the left baseline, try to work with his right hand to the middle and spin back to his left hand on the baseline. It's like in the, when you watch him, you feel apart from the transition stuff, which you have to be, you have to be ready for that. Like th- those are the yeah. three basic things that he prefers to do. And in terms of stuff that they run, you know, intentionally, those are the three places they're looking to get in the ball. Those are that's what they're looking to do. Uh, and it's kind of funny, like early in the season, but like you know, he's unique, and there's some specific game planning you want to do. This extra off day, I think, helps them with that. You know, if they were coming off of one off day, uh, I think it'd be you know a little harder uh, to kind of deal with that. But you know, you hope that extra off day lets let allow them to kind of get into a bit more detail around. Okay, when he has the ball here, you know, what does our help look like? You know, uh, you know, uh, you know how are we dropping more than normal towards towards him, or we have our normal defensive spacing with that extra day? I think you can get to a little bit more specific game planning around stuff like that. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, officially, the the Hawks didn't practice Thursday, and they did practice Friday, but you know, the characterization for Thursday is something like you know they didn't have an all players meeting or all players on the court, like it's certainly very viable that they could have had uh you know a few key uh a few key defenders in, in film study making sure that they had things right getting ready for it yeah Wes, can i, can I ask you um because i don't think i've heard you on this like Dejounte's off to like a really like great start and so do you like what are you seeing there that makes you think this is going to this is what they're going to get from him like consistently or it kind of just what's your take on what they're getting from him? Is, is he just 
kind of invested in being a different kind of player is his Quinn's impact on his habits and uh, and kind of what he's doing. What do you make of this start from DeJounte? Yeah, so, I mean, it starts being encouraging. Um, I think I made the comment at some point to somebody that – so I I watched a a good bit of DeJounte when he was at San Antonio, and the the thing that, you know, obviously it's early in the season, the first five games, but the thing that struck out to me is – his tendencies this season are like a lot like his tendencies two years ago. Um, and it, it, it's almost like last season where um, like last season, his, his offensive tendencies were, were the anomaly in his career. So um, some of that is, you know, the spacing early in the season last year was, as we all know, pretty poor. Um you know, this was this was Bogey coming off his injury. This was before kind of AJ had worked his way into the rotation. So, you know, John was still dealing with the the finger injury. So, the spacing was really poor. I, I think it got to the point where, you know, Dejounte saw a lot of when he was coming off the pick and rolls. You know, the opposing teams were were tagging the roller really hard. You know, they the the, the low man was was helping at the rim. So he kind of got in this rhythm where. You know, he he'd get a high screen and roll, and just felt like okay, the only space I can create is right here at the elbow, you know, right here, this short eight to ten foot mid range sort of, you know, operation. He just wasn't able to really get all the way to the rim because team teams weren't really respecting the spacing that the Hawks had, and they were really really collapsing down at the rim. So, um, you know, he kind of got into that tendency. He he so he was obviously trying to field out the offense. You know, the pick and rolls with with Clint Capella, especially, were were kind of clunky. You know, a lot of kind of um he wasn't sure where to, you know, timing up the screen with Capella or you know, where to give him a you know pocket pass or, or whatever. But mm-hmm. yeah. this season he looks a lot more comfortable. I've seen him hit Capella on some like really yeah. impressive passes, wrapping around yeah. defenders, you know, kind of the uh, he's got a lot better synergy hitting those pocket passes right right where Capella wants it, you know, Congo as well. Um, and then it's just, you know, being able to get to the rim, you know, they've, they've obviously prioritized spacing a lot more. They've got, you know, Bogey in there as a sixth or seventh man. They've got, you know, Jalen's shooting threes more confidently. Got, just got a lot more spacing. So he's able to get downhill. He's able to, you know, just, just get past that first defender and you know, be guys to the rim. And um, and obviously there's kind of also the confidence with them catching and shooting from three. So so the offensive tendencies, I think, are what it looks like to me or more what he was doing in San Antonio where he was really pressuring the rim in San Antonio and he just wasn't able to do that last year in his first year in Atlanta. So, um, no, yeah, he's been, yeah. If you go look at the stats, like he and Trey, like his last year in San Antonio, like two years ago, like I don't know if they were one and two, but led the league in drives. Yeah, and or you know, or right way up there. And and then last year, like man, his his drive volume just went way off, and his mid range volume went up even higher. You know, and and we saw it all last year, like Trey and Dejounte kind of attacking bigs one on one after a switch, like and getting seventeen footers up. You know, late in the shot clock. Um, and so it, I think I think it's a I hadn't thought of it. You know, I watched I watched the whole league too, but 
this does look a lot more like San Antonio Durante, you know, in terms of kind of what the priorities are, what the principles are, and things like that. And and so it, it makes me think that my anticipation that this was going to be kind of counter instinctual is maybe not so much so, you know. Maybe this is him getting back to some some things he's done before, you know. Kevin, what do you think? I agree with Wes that, you know, having Sadiq at power forward makes a lot of difference in terms of spacing. I also think DeJounte is just the best beneficiary of what we've seen from Trey working off the ball. Hmm. Uh, You know, there wasn't a whole lot of that last season. And if he did, it wasn't, it wasn't Trey off the ball doing stuff, you know, dynamically. It was more just, Hey, you know, if other teams are worried about Trey at 29, 30 feet, then maybe he can pull somebody with him. But, you know, you look at something like the first play of that Wizards game or the first offensive play for the Hawks of that Wizards game, you know, Trey brings the ball up to the right side. And, uh, you know, he gets to like the right elbow and there's just some token action there where he hands it off and then boom, he's off curling and he goes under, under the basket, you know, curling back around through the other side on the left side. There's there's somebody there to set him a screen. And then it's just an easy read for Trey. It's like, okay, is there help with the nail? If there is, get off the ball. And if not, you know, he's going to be able to to drive or get to a floater or something like that. That first play, there was help with the nail. And where was the help coming from? It was coming off DeJounte. He got a wide open look from three and, you know, picked up where he left off after that 41 point effort the the game before. So I you know when you when you see Trey moving it's just a really powerful thing for, for really everybody that's on the floor with Trey in those situations because it you know teams start to look okay well where is Trey? And Trey doesn't even have the ball but you you know, you've got to start to account for him. And, and that causes some problems and opens up stuff for other people and and you know in that case DeJounte and I think in in you know, more for him than for any other single person. It, it helps DeJounte a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. It, it is interesting to to see just kind of a, a different set of habits, you know. And again, we're just five games in and and the league the league will catch up with, you know, what they're what they're trying to prioritize and, and they'll have to there'll be a, you know adjustments and the adjustments to the adjustments and all that. That'll come, you know, for sure. Um, but it's it, it's fascinating, yeah, fascinating to see. Kevin, I, I, I don't you you obviously are around the facility more and stuff like that. How long are we going to see this eight eight and a quarter, eight and a half man rotation? Or and when do we when do you think we get to like a full normal nine man rotation? Is that is that happened? It's like is the is that surely to be AJ getting more minutes or is, is, is that like Wes Matthews getting back to being, what, when do we see them get to nine, a nine man rotation? Do you think? Uh, you know, I think it might be just the first injury and, you know, it could be something where when you get that first injury and somebody's out for a game or for three games, you know, maybe, you know, it, you go from eight to ten, like maybe AJ and, <laughs> and Wesley at the same time, but become yeah. more integral people. So you know, in in the rotation. So I, you know, I think for right now, I, I do think that it's just going to stay eight and a half for a little while here. Uh, yeah. 
but you know, I, I do think it could expand to the, the Hawks actually have had their first real bump up against an injury uh, with Kobe Bufkin fracturing his hand in yeah. a college park practice. And, you know, it's his shooting thumb on his left, you know, his he's lefty. So it's his, he fractured his thumb on his left hand, which is pretty significant because that's something that could affect his shooting uh, for the you know, near future. Yeah. Let's see glad they, they kept Patty after that deal, right? It's weird that, that, you know, it's, it's slightly weird that Patty hasn't played. Like I, I, I know I've mentioned this before in at least some contact. I don't know if we said the word Patty Mills, but like, I don't understand why, you know, when they get to the third team and they're just trying to bleed a 15 point lead through the last two minutes, why he isn't on just to be a ball handler or, yeah. you know, just a, an old head on the floor making the right decisions because there have been some, uh, you know, they haven't blown any massive leads, but they've, they've looked clunky for sure in some of those situations. And you just think, you know, that he would get some token minutes in, in a meaningful role because they, they need somebody like him just kind of saying, okay, here's, Here's how what we're going to do to make sure that we get a decent shot yeah. and we're doing the right things in the, in those late game situations. Yeah, and it's weird that like Garrison Matthews has hasn't been part of that group a couple times too. That's yeah. kind of weird to me. And like that's like Bogey's on, but Matt Garrison's on the bench, and it's like it's kind of weird. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting. It's an interesting week coming up because New Orleans will try to spread them out in in the way that they do with Zion. Oklahoma is uh, Oklahoma City. I just did a deke and called them Oklahoma. <laughs> Uh, well, like, like, really play like five out with pace, and so yeah, that's going to that, be that's a fascinating game coming up for sure. Yeah, and then Orlando is Orlando's, I think, a sneaky team this year, you know. But yeah. I, I want to, ch- if I can, change the subject, ask for permission here because we haven't had a chance to cover this, and and I want, and I'm, I'm particularly interested in hearing both of you. But now that we have Wes here, the Harden trade, right? Does that change the way you look at the top of the East? Does that move Philadelphia in either direction in your view? And then and then the sort of a part B, and I'll let I'll let whoever wants to jump in first, is 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 you know Daryl Morey now just kind of primed to make a, a deal this season that fixes some of the issues that they have right now on that roster. So Wes, you want to start off like how does that trade change the landscape of the East and how does that change the way you view Philly? And do you just assume there's another trade coming at some point this year there? Um, I mean, I definitely assume that Philadelphia is going to be kind of sniffing around, I suppose, for, you know, a decent, you know, number two, number three kind of guy. Um, You know, I think a lot of that just kind of falls on their evaluation of Tyrese Maxey. I think Maxey's, he's gone after Hostard. He was the, player of the week, the first week of the year. I don't know if he can quite keep up that level, but yeah. um I am pretty high on him. I, I yeah. think he's I think he's a great player. And like having him just run the offense, you know, whether he makes mistakes and things like that 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 nature, like having Harden out of the picture, you know, as good a player as Harden is, he's 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 very ball dominant, of course. So having Hardy uh having Maxi on the ball um and trying to try to you know, run that offense through him. And they've got a couple, like, you know, supplementary sort of guys, like, you know, at least like, you know, Patrick Beverly and Anthony Melton who can help at times. But I think that would be great for his development. He's still, like, a really young guy. Like, I think he's still 21, 22. Um, 
you know, just just finding that fit with with Embiid, of course. And Embiid's off to a hot start. Embiid's started extremely well this year. So, um, you know, as far as the trade goes, like obviously just getting you know Harden seemed pretty dug in as far as he he would never play for the Sixers again. I know he he had come back to training camp. He had tried to you know board the plane or whatever, but. <laughs> Yeah. That was sort of an attempt to, you know, not get fined and to play by the rules. And, you know, he obviously wanted to go to the Clippers. So just to get that distraction out of the locker room, I think it's good for them. Um, and then they even got a couple of useful expiring players. Uh, they got mm-hmm. um, Nicholas Batum, Robert Covington, you know, you know, vets that can space the floor. They can defend. They got a lot of length. Um, so I think I think you'll see Philly try to really space the floor, kind of five out with some stuff, try to really sp- – give them be room to operate. So, I mean, as far as, far as Philly goes, like I, I think it was a trade that was in, inevitable. Again, mm-hmm. Harden had kind of dug in his heels, but I think it is something that it's better that they did this now versus having this linger over them all the way up until the trade deadline. You know, they, yeah. they, they can figure out how good is Maxi. Can, can he really, you know, carry that burden of, of, you know, leading the offense and controlling, you know, controlling the pace and, working with Embiid, um, as well as they they recouped some picks and some assets. So I'm sure they'll be sniffing around some other guys um, as yeah. they become available towards the trade deadline. But as it is, I mean, I think it's just a valuation period for, for Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Kevin, like, it kind of feels like every – if you kind of just listen to just the general kind of chatter, it's like – Philadelphia is just waiting on Chicago to decide to tear it all down this year. And they're going to get like Zach Levine or DeMar, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you have any sense on kind of the, the, like what you anticipate, like for a trade or anything like that this year is, is your sense that Chicago's heading there or kind of just, what are your general thoughts about that stuff? I mean, Chicago's a mess. I, to, I guess for starters, I didn't really take Philadelphia all that seriously. Mm-hmm. As a contender in the East this season, I just felt like they were a, a tier below. Same. And losing Harden just, you know, takes so much of their talent away. But they traded P.J. Tucker, too. <laughs> I knew like, you were What do you do? Don't trade P.J. Tucker. Like, he was playing 27 minutes a game for them in the playoffs. Like, you were counting on that guy. Not Batum's fine. Covington's fine. But I... And P.J. Tucker's 38, but un- until something goes wrong, I wouldn't mess with that. Like, that feels like a guy you want next to Embiid in the playoffs. Like, ah, I I think they have to do something. Like, to me, like I said, I didn't think of them as, like, some super serious contender in the East. And so them losing Harden doesn't really change my view in that end. But it does feel like things are just getting so thin in Philadelphia that, yeah, they have to just start making a trade so that MB doesn't get frustrated. Like there needs to be more talent around him or things could go so far south that, uh, you know, at some point he's, you know, it, theoretically he could certainly say, Hey, I, I think it's run its course here. I, I need to get out. Like, and I'm not usually one of the vultures looking for the next superstar trade. Like I never believed that Giannis was going anywhere or anything like that, but like, it just seems like they've managed themselves backwards for like four or five years now to where it's just like, okay, it's not as good as it was. It's not as good as it was. It's not as good as it was. Like now it just feels like 
they're skating on such thin ice. And you mentioned Chicago, and I feel like, yeah, it's going to be either Chicago or Siakam. Like one of those two. Mm. If they really feel like, hey, they're going to pull in some talent, I feel like it's going to come from one of those two places. Yeah. I hadn't thought about Toronto, but, you know, he and uh, Siakam and Bede are, you know, have, you know, a friendship, it seems, and that stuff matters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, so that could that could be what happens. And, every, I mean, how long has everyone been waiting, been waiting for the Tobias Harris trade, poor Tobias Harris? Not not monetarily poor, but, <laughs> but you know, just kind of he's been in a tough situation in terms of uh, high expectations because of the contract that, you know, no one no one uh, forced the Sixers to give him that deal and stuff. But, I, you know, it, it, to me it's interesting. Like, Boston's off to this awesome start. Milwaukee's struggling. Like, we've talked – we Kevin, you and I talked about their, their depth issues, right? And and they have a, a new coach, a, a first-time head coach, you know. And so there's some things to, to solve for there. So it, right now, I mean, I mean, things change in a week in the league, right? I mean, you, you could, things can you look different in five days, ten days from now or whatever. But right now it seems like Boston's kind of primed to kind of pull away, you know, uh, from the east with, with Philadelphia trying to recalibrate and – Milwaukee trying to kind of work through some of their issues and stuff. And, you know, you know, Knicks are what, two and four now. And, you know, Cleveland's uh, not had the the best start, Um, you know, so, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting because like Indiana's playing pretty well, Orlando's playing pretty well, you know, kind of on and on and and Chicago's falling. So it feels like it's like, it's, it's, there's going to be almost kind of a, you know, a swapping of three or four teams that were low last year, getting to the middle of the pack this year and, and so on. So, but, but at the top, I think, I think, I think Boston's going to probably get some distance, uh, you know, unless, unless the Hawks go on a run, but, you know, as we talked about earlier in this episode, the Hawks got some stuff to still settle into themselves. Yeah. What do you think of Brooklyn as, as a team in terms of like where, where what's their ceiling? What, what can they do in the East? I so I'm interested to hear from Wes on this for sure. Um, but to me, I, I still think they don't have enough offensive creation. Uh, now, I when I watch you know Cam play, you know, a Cam with uh, like four defenders on the floor, you know, is kind of a uh discount store kind of Iverson six or seven, you know, model <laughs> kind of thing, you know, right. that and, and but I'm like, you know, can Cam kind of be can he develop some facilitation? I mean, he can get to his shot. He can score. Duke can score the basketball, right? Right. But like Dinwiddie's not what he was two or three years ago. Um, and you know, Bridges is I don't view as a, a primary. And you know, and so I I feel like if they're going to be kind of in that range to get a home court, you know, first round, I think they're going to have to add, uh, you know, someone that can that can kind of run the offense and facilitate more. I don't think they have the facilitation right now. Wes, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, they're definitely missing that that kind of uh, you know high high level creation toward a guy. Yeah, whether it's a, a point or whoever. I mean, Cam Thomas. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Like Iverson's a good kind of example where, hey, you know, you you can get so far with a guy who's very, you know, self creation oriented. And then you you space the floor. You've got good defenders, switchable defenders, and you know just let that guy kind of you know do his thing, while everyone else sort of does all the the little like role role player sort of stuff and defending and rebounding. And I mean, 
Sixers got to the finals one year with Iverson. So, but you know, I don't. Uh, that was also kind of a different NBA. Um, right. It wasn't really the pace and space movement like we have now. So, so at some point, I mean, I think Brooklyn is they've they've gotten to the point where they realize, okay, you know, acquiring talent is obviously like you know acquiring high end talent, high end creators is you know key in the NBA, but. They've gotten to the point in their franchise where it's like we we need also we need that sort of uh we don't need chaos or turmoil in, in the locker room. Like so it needs to yeah. be kind of the right guy they build around. So they're they're I think they're gonna be okay, sort of hanging out in this middle area. They got a lot, a lot of nice yeah. role players and they're starting to recoup first round picks and things of that nature. And you know, again, if there's ever a kind of megastar to build around, I mean you know, it's Brooklyn, it's, it's the New York uh, TV market. You know, they think they can sway a guy. Yeah. But after the, yeah, the, guy, the, the KD, the KD Kyrie Harden experience, like they, yeah. they want they want to it to be focused on culture more than just straight talent. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love I love like this is an example of like a coach in his second go around just being a better coach. I love what Jock Vaughn's doing there. He's such a good coach. Um, and, and, and then it's, none of us should be surprised that second time round that sometimes these guys improve, you know, but for me, it's like, I feel like the Pelicans aren't like really sold on like, this is the roster construction that they want. And if they start kind of tearing apart, like CJ McCollum on that, that team, that could work. (laughs) I mean, it's interesting because like, you know, you say they need more creation, but they have such good defenders who who can also shoot, you know, guys like Royce O'Neal and Dorian Finney-Smith. It's like the longer they can kind of string it out with Cam and the defenders, it's like it's like an incubator for for Ben Simmons. It's like the perfect situation for him. Like he's already done pretty well, but like you know, you just kind of let him gradually cuz to me it seems like he's a confidence player. And the more he yeah. plays and just kind of dabbles his feet in there and and you know gets comfortable playing with with this particular setup, like that that could be a freight train later on, come February and March, if if he's starting to feel the right way and and you know believing and and getting the best opportunities that he can get in those situations. Yeah, so so you have so you ha- you're interested. It sounds like in in Ben Simmons, kind of maybe kind of filling that gap as a facilitator. And, and it's funny when I watch him play, I'm still like, man, he doesn't want to go near the rim. He doesn't want to, you know, shoot the shoot. But you know, I, I shouldn't preclude him from kind of get just getting more comfortable. He hasn't played a lot the last couple of seasons. So so you sound I, I don't want to say bullish, but you like you seem open to the idea that Simmons could possibly deliver in that enough in that area for them. Yeah. I mean, I still think that they would need to get someone at the trade deadline, but at the same time, like he doesn't have to become a marvelous shooter. He just has to like gain a certain sense of confidence that he can function at the rim and at the free throw line. And if he does that, then he can really be the old Ben Simmons. He, but you know, who was a terrific player who never really shot more than that to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. 
Yeah, I, I love watching that team play. Like I said before, I I enjoy the coach that Jock Vaughn has become at this point in time. Um, and and they're I want to be one of the most interesting teams in the East, you know. Um Philadelphia, you feel like you're like, am I watching a car crash? Well, you know, this organization, uh, you know, what's going to happen there? And, you know, things are coming off the rails in Chicago. Uh, hard to know what this early start with Cleveland and New York. And, you know, so it's 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 certainly an interesting uh, Eastern Conference there. Yeah. Anything else you want to touch on before we uh, wrap up? I know that when we're done here, I'm going to put on some video at the end, oh, sorry, audio, it's a <laughs> it's a podcast, but I got to ask Trey about that wraparound pass against Washington, oh, and cool. I got to ask Bogey about that uh, sort of dipless three-point shot that he took against the Bucks, where he just kind of caught and pushed the ball forward without ever bringing his elbows down in any way, shape, or form. That'll be fun. Yeah, look forward to hearing that. Where, where did you? Where were you able to get that audio? Uh, I, I was at a shoot around, I guess, before the Washington game. Okay. I talked to Bogey, and then you know, I asked Trey after the Washington game. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, I, I saw. I think I saw. I don't know if you guys saw this, but there was some sort of event. Um, was it last night? I think so. Yeah. So I didn't know if you uh, went over there. Yeah, no, no, no. just the regular regular media availabilities. Yeah. yeah. Wes, any one is there like one interesting thing you've seen across the league so far in the early season that kind of caught your eye? Maybe kind of last little thing we'll hit on here before we get out. Uh I mean, I think like I said, the only team that's kind of jumped out is, is obviously Boston. They're kind of crushing everybody, but. Yeah. Um, kind of a continuation of the past maybe three or four seasons where, you know, kind of since the the Warriors have not quite been as dominant, where it feels very wide open. There's no crazy super teams uh, outside of Boston right now. So I kind of like the excitement that there seems like there's a lot of parity. There's a lot of different team constructions, a lot of different teams doing a lot of, you know, maybe five out stuff versus – kind of more old school stuff class of styles is turned out to be a pretty pretty good pretty interesting start of the season um but you know things can change rapidly in this league yeah, yeah. What do you think it feels like kind guys? of a oh go ahead no I'll, I'll say it feels like a transition year for a lot of teams this year but yeah what was your question oh i was just gonna ask wes what he thought of these uh in-season tournament solid color courts yeah, I'm not the courts themselves. It's a little too garish for me because I'm trying to focus on the basketball, and all I can see are these <laughs> neon blues and greens, and I'm like, it's very distracting yeah, to me. But I'm blue green uh, colorblind. So. Yeah, Oof. I mean, the NBA is obviously <laughs> trying to really, really market this in season tournament, like. It's obviously it, you can't just sort of build that out of nowhere because <laughs> the the common sentiment is like, OK, why do I care about this? But so I can understand why they're being kind of over over the top, above and beyond as far as marketing it. But it might be a little much for me. But I mean, basketball is basketball. Yeah. The, the games today 
have been very entertaining. So that's yeah, been a fun start. Yeah, I, I wonder like when they get down to the you know the final you know you know the, the four teams. I, I wonder if there'll be a little bit more excitement built because I was watching tonight. And I just felt like I was watching regular season basketball, which is what I was. You know, right? I mean, that's what so, it's kind of designed to be. It's regular season mixed in, but yeah, I think I think especially the championship game because it'll kind of just be this one extra game. And I, right. I I have to look at the schedule, but I believe they're kind of try to not have any other games on during that day, maybe like December 11th or something. So it, yeah. it'll be interesting, you know, in Vegas. Like I think they'll be able to kind of drum it up and then, you know, have like a trophy ceremony at the end. So so that that may end up sort of tying it all in. But, yeah. I mean, this, yeah, is, I'm, this I'm, is we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm open-minded to it being entertaining. And being just like kind of a little bit of a different experience, you know, in business, you got to try new stuff. You got to try different things. And, you know, and this is, I think this is an effort. I'll call it an effort. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but, you know, I, we'll see. I mean, to me, it's like if the players get excited about those games, those, you know, those, those quarterfinals or, or semifinals, the final, the fans will get excited. If the players are like, you know, whatever, this is just, you know, another, you know, I, so I think the players have to kind of, kind of sell the fact that they're excited about the opportunity to kind of win those games and accomplish something in the season and, the, and then the fan excitement will follow without that. I, I don't know what my expectations are. We'll see. How are you, Wes, at your good night, Bob protocol? Are you <laughs> up on this? I am pro good night, Bob. I hope okay. he has a great day and night all right all right well uh good night bob then if you're you're ready to do this good night bob can you take us through that one wraparound assist um (laughs) the wraparound assist like for me like i've seen i've seen dj going to the corner uh for me i'm never looking at the guy that's guarding me so like i'm always looking at the 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 help man, the defender behind him. And so for me, I drove by mine and I seen the help guy come over and another help guy about to take the, the big man. And so for me, it's, it's that next person. I had I have to be able to throw it blindly. And uh, I mean, that's just the trust I have with my teammates that they're gonna be there. And for me, uh, I've, I've practiced that pass so many times that I know, I know where it should be and how high it should be. And uh, I mean, some would some would call it luck on how it how it got there into his chest, but for me, like, I really I really work on those type of things, and I I do have a lot of trust in my teammates being in those positions too. And that's how you know we're 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 getting better and we're having a really good offense. Thank you. There was a shot you took in the Milwaukee game where it just looked like you caught the ball and then just like there was no uh, dip no, in the shot, yeah, yeah, yeah. just like that. And I was just wondering, like, how long have you been working on something like that? When when do you use it? How do you know when to use it? Uh, how do I know when to use it? But just the, yeah, like, is this something know, you go like, to every time, or do you only use it like practice, oh the defense is close? I got to use it now. I learned in NBA, you know, the athletes are on different level. And you don't have time to, you know, catch, settle, shoot all the time. So you need to adjust, right, to, to be able to get off some shots and be uh, one of the top shooters in a league. Uh, you have to practice on these shots. So, yeah, I worked on it. I, I'm trying to imagine all these defenses and stuff. Um, 
I know where is my like advantage in all these shots, and uh, I feel like I'm pretty strong there in the shoulders and uh, and uh, and arm in general. So I can I can release it from there. It's it, I know it's hard, but I worked on it to to make it make it easier for me. And then with something like that, do do you like? actually talk to Trey about where you want the pass to be or is it just happen? No, like, do you want him, a certain him, kind of he, pass for he that? thinks about it. He, with him, he, he he thinks about it and he he has some side looks that he gives you and it, it, only you as a shooter you can see that, you know, that you know when he drives that he's gonna dial it perfectly for you, like straight the ball is gonna hit you right in the forehead. Like sometimes yeah, it's crazy how <laughs> So with him, I realize also, you know, that's a partnership. With him, I can mentally also be ready and prepare for these shots. You know, when the ball comes there, I don't need to dip it down and wait or, you know. And there, I, I, this is not the first shot I, I, I made. I made this like last season, two years ago. Um, I, I feel like it also comes from him passing the ball. Because that ball, when it comes perfect, you know, sometimes I'm losing time. I realize when I'm losing and when I'm gaining time. I'm losing it. The ball is perfect. I'm bringing it to imperfect to to bring it back to perfect again. And that millisecond was bothering me. You know, like right. uh, sometimes defense could you know get closer to you and then you miss that shot opportunity. But when a ball hits you like that, I'm, I'm <laughs> it's gone. Yeah, awesome. I appreciate your time, Thank you. sir. Thank, Thank you. you so much. See have, you. A, have a good game.